what I was hoping to do today is talk about fear versus faith and kind of go through a little of that. Our text will be First uh, John, but we're first going to go through, here's three sections you'll see in your notes, uh, looking at fear, and then that'll bring up the context of judgment, and then we'll see how this is solved by love. But that's the things that we're going to go through here today. We'll start by looking at fear, and our verse is going to be First John 4.18, uh, and then we'll look at that a little bit. We'll come back to it and more of First John 4 later on. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so number one in your notes, perfect love casts out fear. And so our, I'm in a covenant group of men, and we were going through uh, different things. We came across this passage, and I looked at it, and I'm thinking of fear. And I, I, I thought of this, and I said, I'm not so sure love gets it done. I'm a football coach, and where does love make things happen on a football field? You need strength, you need power, you need action. Something has to happen. And so I looked at this, and I thought, well, okay, let's say you have fear of an IRS audit, or maybe fear of losing your job, or going to a concentration camp, or fear that your child might get kidnapped or killed. Or fear you go in a UFC cage with John Jones, heavyweight champ, and you eat elbows to the face. How does increasing love solve the fear of what's going to happen? So I looked at this, and probably like you, I kind of look at things and say, you know, I'm going to change it a little bit, and I'm going to take authority over this to what makes more sense to me. And we shouldn't do this, but we all kind of do subconsciously. So let's get rid of love. I like something better. Let's go with knowledge. Because I think knowledge can cast out fear, and I've done that in my life. My brother and I, we were kids. He was two years older than me. And as every young kid knows, there's this boogeyman under the bed, and he's got this long, freaky arm with claws and talons on it. And if you're touching the ground, he can get you. Every kid knows that. So we'd have this deal going on. My dad would come in, turn on the light. What are you boys doing? The monster. The old man never gets it. You turn on the light, dad, he goes away, but he was right there. And so we had to deal with that fear. And so we had bunks. So what we ended up doing was, you know, rock, paper, scissors. Winter would get under those covers. That's 100% protection under the covers. We've all done that. The sucker that lost, well, he had to figure it out because you got your bunks and you better not be touching the ground once the light's off. We all know the rules. So we figure this out. And you run, you on the switch, and you start running and turn and jump. And you hope you get in because you got to go midair. But if you were on the bottom bunk, you hit your top head on that bunk. That's about a 15% hit rate. But that's way better than him grabbing you. So over the years, what happens? It's not one day. It's this slow, insidious process of gaining knowledge. We realize... There actually is not a boogeyman under there. Knowledge drove out fear. So I'm not sure how love does it, but then we're confronted by this thing called the truth. What, what power do I have to change God's word to a way that makes more sense to me? I think I need to read his word to see what's actually true. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because, here's the reason, because fear involves punishment. So the Greek word here for punishment is also used for, the King James just calls it torment. And the context and what it means is eternal torment. And so your eternal torment in the lake of fire, 
That's where it used in, in the latter part of Matthew. It's your eternal destiny. That's a binary thing, A or B. Are you in the eternal lake of fire? Are you in heaven? And so I think it's helpful to put pegs in the board. This talk this morning is about milk. Milk is you end up in one of two binary places, heaven or hell, the lake of fire or heaven. This is not meat. This is not talking about the judgment seat and the amount of what you have there. That's a separate thing. This is talking about your eternal destiny, one place, A or B. Punishment, torment, the eternal lake of fire. Matthew ten twenty eight. do not fear those who kill the body but are able to kill the soul. This is Jesus speaking. But rather... Fear him, this is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So that is legitimate fear. Number two, it is legitimate and healthy to fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus tells you to do that, therefore it's legitimate. But what does that make you realize? That makes you realize looking down the future for your eternal destiny, place A or place B, that is appropriate to fear. That's not reverence, that's fear. Where are you going to go? That also tells you it's not a legitimate fear to be concerned about things constrained by time on this present earth. Whoa, the death of my child or my spouse or the loss of my job or IRS audit, that is constrained within time. That is not legitimate to fear. Why are you fearing the temporary? That challenges our thinking. We go to Revelation, there's this interesting sermon. I saw another angel flying in midheaven having an eternal gospel. So the eternal gospel is unchanging. The word gospel is in the New Testament over a hundred times. This is the final time. What is the gospel? Jesus is God. He is the creator. He took on flesh. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He wasn't killed. His life wasn't taken. He gave it. He gave his life. He was dead, buried, had the power to rise again. That is the gospel. That is how you get eternal life, is understanding and believing that. So this angel is preaching this gospel, and he said with a loud voice, what is his sermon? Fear. Whoa, that's a sermon. Fear. Whoa. And he's a very short sermon. Fear. Fear what? Fear God. And give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Notice this is Revelation 14, just past the midpoint of the Revelation. Time is getting short. Fear God, give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him. So who are we to worship? Notice it's the creator. Jesus is the creator. That is an element of the gospel. You have to understand the very creator himself is the redeemer. Number three, an angel will preach an eternal gospel centered on Fear God. This eternal gospel, one of the centerpieces, is fear God. So we should explore this context, concept of fear a little bit more. And, uh, you know, what does this mean uh, as we fear? And what are, we, what are some of the things to think about? When I was coaching football a couple years ago, I was walking up, preparing for practice, leaving the locker room, going down to get a drink. So I'm focused on how to be efficient at practice. you got to have everything dialed in. And you notice how you pay attention to something, but you didn't really see it. There was something on one of these bulletin deals I kind of saw, but I was going to get my water. And I about six, seven steps down the road, and I, wait a minute, did I just see what I thought? I, I better not have seen what I thought I saw. I had to backtrack and look, and sure enough, this is what I saw. 
Run, hide, fight. And I thought, oh, you're kidding. Well, let me see. This is in the context of a school shooter, a dude on the school campus shooting. And you think, who came up with this garbage? Some bureaucrat that has never accomplished anything worthwhile in their life made this. Think about it. There's a school shooter. Run! Where? I don't know, but run! Then Hide! Well, you run. Do we run out the window or run down the hall? Do we go left or do I go right? I don't know. Just run. Panic! Panic, run. Well, where do I? You're in a classroom. Well, I'm hiding. You can't see me. You know, the two guys got in the closet. Where does anyone else hide? And now I'm confused on the action order here. Do I run first or do I hide first? Do I hide in place and then run or do I run first and do I run to a hiding place? And how well advertised is the hiding place? Because he'll see it. So this makes no sense. And then fight. Well, if you have any understanding of how our brain works, you would never teach it this way because we have our limbic system in our brain. Let's say there's a fire. Fire! Run! Panic! 18 people are going to get trampled and die that didn't need to die because you're operating in a panic. Your limbic system is going, and that has all the fear. You have to calm down your limbic system in order to even access your prefrontal cortex and make cognitive decisions. So panicking, run, hide, and then when you do go to fight, your motor skill is going to be influenced by your limbic system, and you're not going to be coordinated with a fight. You can't fight when you're all anxious and nervous. you got to be calm and tactical. This is a recipe for certain disaster. Breathe. There's a shooter on campus. Calm down. Breathe. Get your breathing. Get your heart rate below 100. You're not going to solve this problem right now. You have to Calm down your limbic system so that you can fire your cortex. Then you can fire your cortex and you can say, think. Think. Observe. Is there someone to communicate with? Is he outside? Look out the window. You might stick a mirror down the hall. Then you might recon out in the hall. You've got to think. And then you act. It may be fight. It may be run. It may be hide. Every situation will be different. But you have to calm down your limbic system in fear, access your cortex, and then make a plan. And it may be you bum rush the guy, but that better be coordinated. Right? It can't be haphazard and emotional. Playing football. Don't fumble. Fourth quarter. Jimmy, don't fumble the ball. Worst thing you can do. What did you just picture in your mind? You just had your player think of fumbling. You've just increased his chance of fumbling about 15 or 20%. Why did I put a negative in his mind? Put a positive strength in his mind. Jimmy, high and tight. Jimmy, run hard. Be tough. Act like a captain. You give a positive statement for the young man to put in his mind. You don't put a negative in there. You're just increasing the risk of failure. So let's go to 2 Timothy 2. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Are we thinking with our limbic system or are we thinking with our cortex? Run, hide, fight, panic is not a sound mind. How do we get a sound mind? Fear in its proper perspective. Realize in the perfect creation, on day six of creation, all was very good. There was no sin. There was no evil. There was no fear. After the fall, only then is there fear. Notice it's after Adam sinned that he was afraid. Fear comes as a result of evil in the perfect creation. It wasn't there. Now we live in a fallen world. Fear has a proper place. Jesus preaches about fear, putting it in the right place. Not here, not this present world, but the eternal destiny, point A or point B, heaven or the lake of fire. That is fear. So this angel preaching a sermon on fear, don't run, hide, 
fights. He didn't tell you to run and hide, but you should breathe, calm down, think. Now act. How can I solve this problem? And in the case of our eternal destiny, you can't solve the problem, neither can I. But it's revealed to us how it is solved. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise. Fools do not want to have correction of where to go. The fear of the Lord, this is not reverence. That's a, like number eight on the list. People always say reverence because they don't like to talk about fear. This is fear. Fear your eternal destiny. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Notice fear is what component of wisdom? The beginning. It's not the end. It's not the telios. It's the beginning. Number four. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't say you have something, let's say wisdom, unless you begin to have it. You have to begin to have it in order to have it. How do you begin to have it? You have to fear the Lord. So fear, and it does have a proper place in this fallen world. We're just briefly going to look at judgment because our real focus is going to be to get to love. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Number five, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Hebrews ten thirty one. But... We don't have to stay in that place of fear. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, the cost of his life, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. It's not us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse, so you realize when you read scripture... He became sin. He became a curse. Everyone's hung on a tree is cursed. He didn't become a sinner. He never sinned. He just totally took all of our sin on him. He gave up his life, and then he just shatters it when he rises from the dead. So he solves this problem for eternity. Number six, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us by becoming the curse itself. And then he obliterates it. So think of the success of our world, what Satan does in our world. He gets us to think there is no creator God. We got here by evolution, something like that. If there is no creator, there is no guy setting standards. There is no one to whom we're accountable. Therefore, there's no reason to fear. Because we don't even think about God, then we won't think about fear. There's nothing to repent and solve. So fear should make us think, where am I going to end up? We realize this judgment is severe. We can't pay the price, but Jesus himself paid it. Now we're in position to start understanding love a little bit more in 1 John 4. Our verse again, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear is centered on the punishment, on the torment, fear of that potential issue. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So if we're having anxiety or fear over that eternal, we should not have any fear over this present earth. If we're having anxiety and fear over our eternal destiny, we don't understand God's love yet. Because his fear, or our fear, is over the eternal destiny, but then Our love is perfected. That word perfected in the Greek, that is teleos. That means end result, like a telomer, the end of a chromosome. Teleos is the end result. What is the end result of love being perfected? It drives out the fear. It has power. So let's uh, understand we're talking about agape love. 
That means love that has the best interest of the object of your love at heart, not how you feel about things. So we're going to build the context here. We're going to start earlier in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you test something? If you're going to test something, you must have a standard by which you're going to measure and test it. Sure enough, there is. This is the standard. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So every spirit that says Jesus came in the flesh, that is the summary of the gospel. God himself became flesh and died. What is the favorite phrase that Jesus uses of himself in the New Testament? Son of man took on humanity took on the line of Adam. He took on this. Jesus became man. You notice the demons never call him the son of man. They will call him the son of God. They know who he is. They do not acknowledge that he came in the flesh. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Not just against, but in place of. Trying to be God himself. Trying to be Christ himself. So let's go to number seven. Satan will not accept that God became flesh and died as the propitiation. So propitiation is a big word. And we'll come to that again in the text here in a minute. Propitiation means to appease a deity or to satisfy To pay in full, satisfactory payment in full is propitiation. So there's context of propitiation or atonement or covering in the Old Testament that's partial. It's partial blood of lambs and bulls and goats. It's partial. It's not complete until we get to the propitiation we'll see in a minute. But the Antichrist doesn't accept this. We move on. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So that's a key word right there, truth. There is a standard of truth. Number eight, the truth is clearly revealed in the written word of God. Satan wants to get rid of this. One of his great tools is syncretism. Blend all sorts of ideas so it's confusing what's real and what's not. Put so many colors on the board, you're not sure which one to go with. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. God is love. So now we're talking about this agape love, this whole chapter. It's all about eternal destiny. The person you love or what is the object of your love, do you have their best interest at heart as opposed to what they might give you? What is love based on? Truth. So if you say, yeah, John, that's okay. You don't know God. You make your own truth. You follow your own rules. That's okay. Let you be you. I'm going to act in love, meaning I'm going to make you feel good about your bad decisions in this localized time frame right now, which we shouldn't be fearing anything. So I want to have you feel good because I'm going to follow the world and say I'm going to act in love, but it's not based on truth for eternity and fear of an eternal destination. That is not love. That's some other thing. It's not love. Let's go to Proverbs. Do you know God hates? He does. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth God hates. You notice he's not hating the person, but he hates the evil behind it. Before sin, there was no hate. After sin and the reality of a fallen world, you cannot have love because agape love is based on 
truth. You cannot have love if you don't also have hate. You love what is true. You must, therefore, hate what is evil. So to just think we passively walk around acting in love is super naive, and we're letting the culture dictate how we should think and act. Let's go back to 1 John. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. God sent comes down. It's not like you evolve and move up. He sent his son in the world so we might live through him. In this is love. The sending of his son is a sacrifice. Not that we love God. We are not doing it. But he loved us and sent. There it is again. He sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Notice italics. This is New American Standard. That's not actually in. So his son, the propitiation. So there's a propitiation, a covering, an atonement. There's all sorts of that. The ark was an atonement for Noah. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was an atoning thing. It was all temporary. It was perpetually done until the propitiation of Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't do sacrifices anymore satisfactory payment in full to appease the deity. That is propitiation. If you have to pay that bill on your own, it's an infinite bill, you darn well better have fear because you and I are incapable of paying that. His son, God himself, the creator, came down and paid it. And it's through him that we solve the eternal destiny problem. So you look now at love, and I asked earlier, I could see how knowledge drives out fear, but I'm not sure that love, I feel good, I feel happy, I'm warm and cuddly. That kind of love, those are adjectives. Adjectives can't do anything, they're passive, and they can't drive out fear. But verbs, action verbs do. So you go to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, and how does God define love? There is no adjective there. It is all action verbs. How you choose to act because you believe the truth and it's action verbs. Action verbs can drive out fear. Passive adjectives cannot. Love is a verb. Agape. Number nine. Our love of God, or the love of God, was manifest in us by his, and you can choose, emotion or action of sending his son, the propitiation for our sin. I would say it was his action, an action based on truth. His action solves our sin. And so it's his propitiation, that act of agape love with our eternal best interest at heart, that is what has the power to drive out the fear of eternal judgment. And, uh, well, we'll just move on. Beloved, if God so loved the world, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. How do we love a God we can't see? By loving people that we can see. That's abiding in God. His love is perfected, telios again. This is in there several times. The end result of this love, we've seen his agape love, and now we abide in him and love other people, and that causes his love. And notice it's not our love that's being perfected. It's his love. His love is what is perfected in us. We don't have love to perfect. We can just simply mimic him. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, that's the gospel message right there. 
You have to have it all in context. God abides in him. How were you able to confess? You didn't choose to do that. The Spirit worked in you so you could accept it. God abides in him and he is in God. We have come to know and have believed the love, the agape, which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected. There it is again, this perfection, this teleos, the end result of this love, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. This is talking about the eternal judgment, not the, not the meat to the judgment seat of Christ, the milk of eternity. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So he came down, took on the punishment, took on sin and the curse, and solved it, blasted it out with his resurrection. So now when we stand, where will we go for eternity? God sees Jesus around us. He doesn't see us. So we can pass. We can have confidence. It's by this, that atoning death, so we believe in his propitiation. Number 10, by believing... In Jesus as the propitiation and abiding in him, God's love is perfected by believing and abiding. There is no fear in love. This is our our verse we started with. But perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear is all, legitimate fear is all about our eternal resting place. And it's not going to be rest. You're going to be active. Actively tormented or actively in heaven. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So we shouldn't have any fear of that once we understand and believe the propitiation of Jesus, that agape love. Look at our culture. Look how Satan uses syncretism to confuse, to put so many things out we're not sure what to think. We don't, we, I have never seen agape in the culture, in a movie, on a broadcast, whatever, meaning the object of your love, you have their best interest at heart. I'll show you what I see all the time in our culture. You know, I love a good movie with a twist in the plot. Who's the focus? Me. My enjoyment of the movie. That has nothing to do with agape. That's not, that word love doesn't mean anything. How about this? I love to win. I feel good, but it's all about me. It's narcissistic. It looks at me. How do I feel? And that is our culture's definition of love. Never an action to solve a problem. Now perfected in love. The teleos of love. What is the end result? So from God, it's to remove fear of eternal punishment. But think about it. If I think about my wife and you say, well, why do you love Leah? And I'd say, well, I love Leah. Well, she's beautiful. She cooks a lot of too many chocolate chip cookies for me. She feeds me every day. And she does the books at our office, helps me be financially secure. If she were to go away and leave or die, I don't know what I would do. I have, well, did I ever think of her best interest and her eternal best interest when I described my love for my wife? No, I'm thinking about what she does for me. And boy, if she would die, so notice what is the teleos, what is the perfection of cultural love, not real love, increases your fear. The more I focus on what she does for me, the more fearful I am if she were to die. I become now a prisoner of that fear instead of really worrying about her eternal situation with God. It actually enslaves you more to fear to follow our cultural definition of love. The last verse in this passage, we love not because we did anything, but because the reason he 
loved us. He did it first. Number 11, we love because he first loved us. He initiates. I had an experience at McDonald's a couple years ago. They had just gotten that double doozy drive through you know, where you can go two lanes. I mean, that's a breakthrough. You see other people starting to copy that now. So I pull it in there. It's a big, long line. We get up. And this guy in front of me, I mean, he's an idiot. You've probably been behind the same idiot that I was behind. I'm getting mad. He's got this car that's making a political statement. Then it's full of bumper stickers making all these political statements. I'm just getting irritated by looking at this guy. And sure enough... He validated my anger because he couldn't even navigate the drive-through. We get up there and there's, you can go left or right. You got two choices here, buddy. The left side is all crammed up and the right side's just open. He doesn't go for it. And so then this, they move, so everyone moves forward. And so I start to make my move. I'm going to go around the right. I thought it was a good move, but he's a moron and he stops like an eight foot space. Like, what do you, you go up to the guy, you don't stop with that much space. I had to, I had to stop because I was going to have to four wheel drive up on the side over the flowers and I didn't quite want to do that. I'm like, dude, you're killing me here. And so this guy is, I see him looking in his mirror. Look, he's looking. And I'm like, oh, I advertised my move. And this guy, hey, he pulls over into the right. I'm like, oh, this sucker. Well, he's the first guy up there. There's two over there. So I think, well, it's still going to be quicker. I stay behind the schmuck. Mistake. And you know how mad you get? Like, that line's going faster than my line. So I'm getting more mad and angry because I'm behind the moron at McDonald's. And these two both went. He still wasn't done yet. And, of course, there's others coming. I'm just fuming the whole time. I get up there to pad. I had a hamburger and a water. It's two bucks. I don't know what it is now, but it's two bucks even. I go up there to pay the lady. I'm holding my two bucks. She goes, oh, the guy in front of this true story. The guy in front of you paid. I'm like... The more, I almost said, the moron paid my, ha, what? This, so I'll be dadgummit. I put four bucks here, pay for them. I was mad. I'm just furious. That sucker is not going to outdo me, but he did outdo me. And you notice how it changed my thinking? Because the moron, and, and it, I had to process this, but look how narcissistic, how self-focused, how proud and arrogant, how judgmental I am. And I'm sure you're the same way. You might be a little better than me, but I'm sure you're a lot like that. And so I'm just fuming about this and I'm thinking, and then you think of this. God gave. We don't initiate. If the schmuck at McDonald's who can't even navigate the drive-thru, if that guy can show a modicum of love and that alters my behavior, even if it didn't fully alter my thinking, how convicting is that when the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, gives his own life? Boy, that changes my thinking of what I should do. So let's look at this book of First John, kind of put it up in big picture here, and you're going to just look at some, context, some concepts. We're to test. That means there must be a standard of truth by which to test, and there is, and it's the Word of God. Not that we loved God, but He loved us, and His Son is the propitiation for our sin. Satisfactory payment in full, total appeasement of the deity. His love is perfect. His love, not ours, is perfected in us if we're abiding in Him. We believe the love that God has for us by the action of his death. Love is then perfected in us if we are abiding in love. I didn't do that very well in the drive-thru. 
Do we believe? Believe what? Do we believe the propitiation? Do we believe the death of Christ actually fully satisfied the deity and appeased him by full payment? Or do we not quite believe that? The only fear we have is if we don't quite believe that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. So now we can think about this. What is a prerequisite for love? We've already talked about it, but if you're going to have love, you must have something that comes before love, and that is you must know what the truth is, because agape love is to act in accordance with the truth for the eternal best interest of the object of your love. Without truth, there can be no agape. So that is the foundational piece, is the truth. Number 12, real agape love can only act upon the cornerstone of truth. You're deceiving yourself if you think you can act with love, not in accordance with the truth. But there's another player, the Antichrist. And of course, it's going to be man. There's been multiple Antichrists, multiple people, all the way back from the garden. But Satan is behind it all. What is the spirit behind it all? What is Satan doing? Realize he's not passive. He also has goals. He is a driven being. He wants to accomplish his plan. So what does he want to eliminate Hey, there's nothing to test. There's no, there's nothing to test here. Why? Because there is no standard of truth. There's no truth, therefore no reason to test. If there is no truth, there can be no propitiation. No Jesus coming in the flesh to give propitiation for our sin. So if you get rid of that, there is no agape to even do. So there is no agape. There's no agape love from God, his love to be perfected in us. And that obligates us to live in fear. By getting rid of the truth, we're chained to fear. Number 13, Satan tries to keep us in fear by denying the truth of God's love manifest by sending Jesus, the propitiation. So this would be our last concept, to just think of fear versus love, now that we have a little background to this. And you read ancient mythologies, it's always like it, and you you read uh, liberal theologians, liberal people say, you know, they took Moses and these guys were influenced by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, Mesopotamia. They were influenced by stuff like the Enuma Elish and they took the Bible from those concepts. And that's a load of garbage. And you'll see why. But there are deities in there. If we just take the Enuma Elish, there are deities there. They're little g-gods, not creator big g-gods. Little g-gods and they're fickle. They have emotions. You read it, they want to sleep. They get tired. And they get hungry. Why do you bring the sacrifice? You are feeding them. So if you're Satan, you have to do a lie. Well, God, it's an atonement is why you're bringing a bull or a lamb and you kill it as a temporary covering for your sin. Satan can't deal with that. So, well, yeah, the gods need to eat. That's in there. They're hungry. They get weary. They get tired. You notice God is different from that. But they have the concept of propitiation to appease the deity, to satisfy, to pay for. So notice who brings it in. You are bringing from your stuff, offering propitiation. It's costing you, and you're hoping that it propitiates, that it satisfies the deity. But he's fickle, and you're not sure what kind of a mood he's in. It may work, it may not. So you have fear because you have to keep doing this, and it may not work. That is a false deity, a little g-god. 
Let's compare that to the big G God, the creator of heavens and earth who self-exists, who needs nothing. He does not need us to bring anything. Yes, he has a sacrificial system. Yes, there is propitiation. And it's temporary. There's atonements. There's propitiation. There's these things that are temporary. You are bringing the sacrifice. But you notice God says, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Do you think I need to eat yours? He's mocking these pagan deities in scripture when he's saying that. It's not that I'm frail and need you. I have your best interest at heart. This is a temporary blood sacrifice, an atonement, a temporary covering, temporary covering, temporary covering, and then bang, the propitiation, the Son of God himself, and it's done. There is no more sacrificial system. That cost him. That didn't cost us. So notice that is agape. Look at the difference and realize I've heard it in leadership circles stated that you first have to lead yourself. It's a load of garbage. That is totally false when you understand Scripture. You cannot lead yourself. You're a human. You are always led by the Spirit, a Spirit, which Spirit? And there's only two. Satan has multiple demons. So you are always influenced by a spirit, and that will then influence your action, what you're believing, and what you're doing. And so, and you notice a football team will take on kind of the the persona of the coach. We as humans will kind of take on the concepts of the deity we worship. So you can take a little g-god, a false deity, not the creator, who's fickle, he's emotional, he's looking at his circumstances and wanting you to cover for him to solve his emotional need, and it may not even work. Very self-centered. And you complain about the circumstances, being hungry, being tired. Or we can worship a God who's based on truth. Because he's based on truth, he takes action where he gives agape for us and solves our problem because that's in accordance with the truth. And it's a giving love rather than a receiving love. Which deity are we following? So we looked at fear and love. And we fear is a legitimate thing in this fallen world because it points us not to anything here, but to there for eternity. Where will we go? And that's a binary option. It's the lake of fire or it's eternal life in heaven. There is no third option. And the judgment then is paid for through the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel, God the creator himself coming down, taking on flesh, giving his life. Nobody took it. Dying willingly, but then demonstrating the power to resurrect again, solving the propitiation, the satisfying of the deity of God in full through his death. 